And he goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What does this infirmity do? It drives us to prayer. It drives us to trust in God's strength. It turns us from trusting in ourselves to trusting more in the Lord. And in that way, it strengthens. It is God's messenger to us. It becomes what could have been a problem becomes a blessing. And you, in the Christian life, because we have a high priest at the right hand of God who understands our infirmities. That's what we're told here in Hebrews chapter 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the infeeling of our infirmities. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and it is a privilege to bring you the message of God's Word today because we do have a high priest. That was the point the apostle was making in this fourth chapter of Hebrews when he wrote this letter to these Christians who were being lured away from Christianity. We have a high priest. We have one in glory. His name is Jesus. And let us not be drawn back to something else. So this is the wonderful gift of God's salvation in Christ Jesus. We have a high priest, and he's able to meet the heart needs of his people, even our deepest infirmities. This is good news for the Christian. At the end of the program, we'll have a segment on gambling, this vice that has come upon our society that is taking millions and even billions of dollars across Canada out of the pockets of the vulnerable to support the rich and the charlatan, even our governments. And that's the sickening thing about this. Even our government is preying upon the vulnerable, and now gambling addiction is being classified as a mental health issue. We'll get to that after our message from the pulpit of our church. Stay tuned as we let the Bible speak. So we are a privileged people. Then in verse 14, you go on to notice the present position of our high priest. It says here, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, the glory and the splendor of the high priest ministry was that he went in through the veil to represent the people. That's Aaron or the Old Testament high priest. He went in through the veil and went right into the presence of God. And there he took the blood, sprinkled it on the mercy seat, and he presented for the people. Our Lord Jesus is in the heavens. He has gone through the veil. He is right now in the presence of God for us. Now, there were two characteristics of the equipment of the high priest. That beautiful gown that he wore, along the hem, right around the fringe of the hem, there were pomegranates and bells. The pomegranate fruit uh, were taken, and they were sewn right into that. 
And then there were bells alternating, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell, right around the hem of the garment of the high priest. When he went into, through the veil, into the presence of God, he demonstrated or carried with him the perfume, the, the beauty, and the fruit of that pomegranate, which was pleasing to God. Take that now to our Lord Jesus at God's right hand. Christ has entered into the presence of God. What is the fruit of Jesus' life? The church, his people. And as he appears in God's presence, representing his people, he brings glory to the Father. And then the bells. When the earthly high priest went through that veil, at every movement, every turn that he made, the bells rang. The people were not allowed to gaze through the veil. They were on the outside. The high priest was on the inside. And as they heard the bells ringing, it reminded them, it alerted them to the active ministry of the high priest behind the veil. If the bells went silent, something was wrong. And remember, the high priest that did not do everything perfectly in God's presence, he died. And if the bells went silent, the high priest's ministry failed. Our Lord Jesus, we're told in this passage, has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, he's there. And you and I are to ever remember, to be reminded, as the ringing of the bells did to the earthly people, we are to be reminded that we have one in God's presence, praying, pleading, and seeking God on our behalf. And so the line of argument is this. We have a high priest. It was being denied. They said, but these Christians have nothing to see. There's no sacrifice. There's no blood. There's no priest. Uh, there is but the Bible and the preaching. But where is the high priest? And the answer is given. We have a high priest who is in the heavens. Therefore, let us hold fast our profession. Don't give up. Don't go back. Don't lose sight of where our Savior is. He is there in the presence of God. Now, every man and woman needs such a Savior to represent him. You need that today. You need one at the right hand of God who is praying and pleading for you. And this passage reminds us that Jesus is right there. He is now presently pleading, praying, interceding for us, because no man can go directly into the presence of God. And that's why we are exhorted to always pray in Jesus' name. We need a mediator, we need an intercessor, and we pray in Jesus' name because he is there praying for us. And so that is good news. And that is the answer to all the objections and to all the arguments against uh, Christianity and the wonders of our salvation. Now, the next aspect in verse 14 is not only we have a high priest, 
but we have one who is full of sympathy. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Did you read that right there in verse 15? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, that's a double negative, and it's put in there because there must have been a problem with earthly high priests who had no feelings for the people, who didn't care, and he was just fulfilling an office in a rote manner. He had no real interest. But this high priest, our Lord Jesus, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is able to sympathize and enter into the needs of his people. Now, the law of ministry is that nobody cares until they know that you care. That's the law of ministry. You don't want to go to a church where nobody cares. You don't want to be under uh, a pastor or a church fellowship where they won't pray for you, they won't take your needs to the Lord, they won't come alongside and show at least some understanding of your situation and try and encourage you through and to help you from the Word of God how you can claim God's power and grace in this very situation. You want someone who cares. And the message is loud and clear. We have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And truly, when we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We do have a friend. We have one who understands and who is able to sympathize. Now, if you go back to chapter 2 and the verse 18, you will see uh, this reference to the Lord Jesus succoring or helping. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And that comes up again in chapter 4, 15, uh, but was in all points tempted like as we are. We have a sympathizing Savior at God's right hand as our high priest praying for us, and he understands the power of temptation. Now, Christ never sinned. He never yielded to temptation. He overcame every temptation. But he understands the power and the infirmities, the weaknesses of his people. He always helps. The sympathy of the Lord Jesus runs very deep to every one of his people. He is filled with compassion and with pity. And out of his perfect human nature, the Lord Jesus meets every need and every infirmity of man. Now, every one of us struggle with infirmities. Have you ever met the perfect person who has got the perfect body, perfect health, perfect speech, perfect diction, perfect ability to explain his own walk and talk, who's got the perfect wife and the perfect children, and everything is just absolutely, totally right on for that person. No. 
Every one of us is burdened and inflicted with infirmities. Some of them are constitutional. Some of us people are uh, introverts. Others are extroverts. Some people are really talkative. Others are so quiet. Some love to tell the story of their inner life. Others shy away from expressing it at all. We feel sometimes in the company of others inadequate, self-conscious. We have problems even telling the story of our own salvation. Sometimes we lose the assurance, and other days we're full of assurance. And all of these things are the infirmities of our human constitution. Christ knows those things, and he is able to succor and able to help because he is the perfect man. He is the one in whom everything is right, and we can go to him in all our needs and in all of our cares. And then there are our physical infirmities. I don't think there's anyone here today that would say, I have perfect health. We all suffer from something. Some people with headaches, some people with stomach problems, some people that can't digest proper, normal food. Their diet is awfully restricted. Other people who have uh, ailments of many, many kinds. We have physical infirmities. Some people have been injured. Their body doesn't function the way it used to function. Some people suffer from disease, and these become weaknesses and infirmities. What is the Christian to do with his or her infirmities? Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and to verse 5, and we will learn from the Apostle Paul's attitude to those infirmities of the body. We're talking now about something physical, something that is a, a hindrance, a, a problem in the body. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 5. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Now, because we have context here, we begin to see what these infirmities were. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, notice it's the flesh. It's his physical person, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And so Paul reasons, not only do I have a physical problem, but the reason God gave it to me was to deal with my pride. Lest I be puffed up because of all the abundant uh, blessings or uh, revelations that he received, it was given him 
to be a leveler, that he would not rise up in pride. And then he says in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And says, I don't like this. It's not nice. I'd rather be rid of this. And so he prayed three times, three separate occasions, when he called on God to be done with this physical infirmity in the body. And here was God's answer. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul did not hide the infirmity. He did not go into denial. He did not run into a corner. He did not say, I'm finished now. I can't do anything from God. No, God is going to give him such grace, sufficient grace, that he may turn that weakness into his strength. And he goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What does this infirmity do? It drives us to prayer. It drives us to trust in God's strength. It turns us from trusting in ourselves to trusting more in the Lord. And in that way, it strengthens. It is God's messenger to us. It becomes what could have been a problem becomes a blessing. And you, in the Christian life, because we have a high priest at the right hand of God who understands our infirmities. That's what we're told here in Hebrews chapter 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. We can go to the Savior with our ill health, with our limitations, with our disappointments, and even with our sins when we are tempted of the wicked one and we fall prey to his ways. We have one who understands. He is the sympathizing one who cares and who gives grace to make us overcomers. Now, when you get to the verse 16, you will see that this throne of grace is the place of power in prayer. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is the church prayer meeting? It is really the hospital of the church. It is where all these people with their infirmities and with their limitations and their struggles and their cares, and they come to pray, and they plead the name of Jesus, their great high priest, and they're told to come boldly, not sheepishly, not thinking I'm a failure. No, God gave me these problems that I might bring them and thereby glorify God. Now, two things are set out in verse 16 that we receive when we go to the throne of God and to the Lord Jesus. One is mercy. Mercy for our sins. And we need that continually. And when you go to the throne of grace in prayer, we come with our sins. And we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous, and he pleads for us. So don't allow sin to defeat you. Don't allow guilt to rob you of the grace and the power of the Lord in your life. Go to the Savior. Plead his mercy. Enjoy forgiveness. Enjoy the pardon that is offered to you. And get the victory that the Lord will be your helper. The other thing is promised here is grace. Grace simply means strength to live a godly life. The Lord gives us strength. We go to the mercy seat. We go with all our failures and all our infirmities, and we confess our weakness. Paul did that. And he talked about glorying in his infirmities and in his weaknesses. And in so doing, he pleads for strength, power to live for God. And you'll notice that you're to come boldly. Don't say, we can't say that to a proud sinner, come boldly. But we say it to the broken sinner. And we say it to the soul that is thumping his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come boldly. Come assuredly. Come expecting blessing and expecting help. I wonder today, are you making daily use of your high priest, of his mercy, his compassion, and his grace to your soul? That's our privilege, and that's our victory by coming to the Lord and pleading his grace. So I leave with you these thoughts today in Hebrews chapter 4, and I trust that we will never say we don't have a high priest. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Never let anyone deny you and rob you of that blessing. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. I'm coming now to the segment on righteousness, exalt of the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And today we're going to look at the vice of gambling. William Secker listed one of the seven deadly sins as avarice, which by definition means the insatiable desire to get riches. One of the daughters of avarice, which the old writers used to mention, was gambling. And the need has not gone by for indicating the true place to which this vice belongs. The desire to make money is undoubtedly at the bottom of the practice. To make money in haste without giving any equivalent for it, and this is its condemnation, but after it has grown into a habit, it becomes a very complex thing. The gambler can hardly tell why he follows with such eagerness the events of the green turf and the fortunes of the green table, there is a fever in his blood which drives him on, rendering ordinary pursuits and ordinary gains steel and making his own heart reckless and hardened. A single act of gambling has an innocent look. The first steps in a gambling career are frequently exhilarating. But the atmosphere soon becomes grimy. The associations and companionships into which it leads are demoralizing, and many a time it ends in the dock and the jail. Gambling is a big problem in Canada. The reason is that provincial governments are the real addicts. The Ontario provincial government itself raked in more than a billion dollars last year from gambling.
To do so, it has done everything it can to grow gambling, including licensing more casinos, allowing ATMs and unrestricted hours of operation in them, and increasing the number of video lottery terminals by five times. The result? The number of gamblers has soared. The Wellesley Institute of Ontario reported in 2013 that gambling is common in Ontario. The Canadian Community Health Survey shows that 66% of Ontarians have gambled within the last 12 months, and 85% of Canadians have gambled at some time in their lifetime. For most people, gambling does not significantly affect their lives and their well-being. Social, financial, and health problems arise, however, for problem gamblers. Problem gambling is often not well-defined in debates about gambling. This can lead to the assumption that unless the gambling is compulsive, it is healthy, responsible, and low-risk. Leading researchers have defined low-risk gambling as gambling no more than two to three times per month, spending less than a total of $500 to $1,000 per year, or gambling less than 1% of a gross family income. People who exceed one or more of these criteria can be described as problem gamblers. The Canadian Public Health Association defines problem gambling as a progressive disorder characterized by a continuous or periodic loss of control over gambling, b. preoccupation with gambling and money with which to gamble, c. irrational thinking, and d. continuation of the activity despite adverse consequences. In other words, you keep losing and yet you still keep playing. Now, the answer to the problem is to seek the true riches which are in Christ. The wonderful thing is that the insatiable greed of man is answered in the hope that comes through a living faith in Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ and have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Him. The poorest Christian is richer than the wealthiest oil sheik or the king of the vastest earthly kingdom. The Holy Spirit becomes our joy of heart. He ministers to us the fullness of contentment and satisfaction of which money is only a mocker. It's better to have a gospel-preaching church in the city than a gambling casino. It's better to have Christians living in the hope of Christ than gamblers robbing the vulnerable like vultures, damning their own souls in doing it. Judas warns us all to of the true outcome of gambling. He traded 30 pieces of silver for his own soul. Let us be warned today not to enter into the gambling casino or any other form of gambling, but to put our trust in the Savior in whom there is no risk, but rather in whom is eternal life, abundant life. That's the confidence of the Christian. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.